Fifth Step podcast. Today I'll be asking Fifth Step's CEO Darren Ray if mergers and acquisitions uh, are on an upward trend. Um, the reason we uh, decided to talk about this topic today is because uh, Del- Deloitte recently published their M&A trend for 2019. So uh, Darren, um, is, is, it, is it correct to say that mergers and acquisitions are on an upward trend? Yeah, they certainly are, Chris. I think they have been for some time, but What's really interesting and what's drawn out by both Fifth Step's experience and also echoed within the Deloitte um, survey is that year on year, organisations are looking at doing bigger acquisitions. So bigger very often means more complex, not always, but usually means more complex. So larger deal size, um, larger acquisitions and the potential for more disruption. In fact, the survey says 70% of companies say that the deals they're going to do or they're planning to do this year are bigger than the ones that they did last year. So 70% of organisations, that's a big uh, you know, big number. Yeah, uh, and is that expected to increase? I think it's going to increase. I mean, certainly it's an increase from last year. Um, last year it was 63%, so it's gone up 7% within the year. Um, you know, the way I see it over the next five, six years or so, I think M&A is going to be a primary means of growth for organisations. And, you know, organic growth where it exists is going to be, um, you know, being grown in order to ultimately be acquired. Yeah. So what are the reasons for this spurt in uh, M&A growth? Well, they probably haven't changed that much over the years, to be honest, Chris. Um, you know, there's lots of different reasons, and they will vary slightly between sectors and certainly between companies. But there's three, probably three key ones, and there's uh, you know a fourth one that certainly we see as being uh, a dominant. But expanding the customer base in an existing geographic area. So if you already trade within the UK, for example, you may want to buy more customers within that uh, region. If you're trading likewise within Europe or within a particular country in Europe, you may want to buy more customers within that area. You know, um, so acquisition allows you to buy an organisation that's already done all the hard work of acquiring those customers. Yeah. Uh, I suppose you know, things like you know acquiring new, new types of technology would be um, a key driver as well. Is that would that be fair to say? Absolutely, um, it's one of the key drivers for many um, sectors. Particularly if you've got something a little bit innovative or something that's taken a long time to develop, organisations can really add uh, an increased multiple. Um, you know, so they're worth more if they've got some innovative technology behind them as well. And the one that I would say is a big driver for many of uh, Fifth Steps clients, um, some of whom or most of whom are in uh, the financial services sector. But one of the things that we find there is how they can reduce um, overheads or improve efficiency. You know, those two things are massive drivers for our clients. And I think that spreads more widely. It's not just uh, financial services or you know, law firms or those who are highly regulated who, you know, typically make up Fifth Steps clients. Um, I think it's far broader than that. So, you know, can the success or otherwise of a deal, can that be measured? Oh, absolutely it can. Now, again, organisations will have different metrics for what they consider to be a success. Um, some of those, you know, some of those might just be purely financial. Um, you know, have we had got the increase in, um, in business that we expected? It may be purely on the number of customers. You know, have we got the increase in customers that we expected? But 
other factors need to come to bear on that as well. So the successful integration, you know, have you made the savings that you expected to make? Have you are you actually meeting your strategic business plan? Um, you know, for the uh, that justified the merger and acquisition in the first place. So effective integration is one of the key uh, things that degradates. Uh, the value of a merger and acquisition. And it's one of those key things that, that mean that companies think this hasn't been a success. Uh, you know, this merger and acquisition hasn't been a success. And, and it's one of the areas that FISTEP helps clients with the most to actually ensure that the, that the organizations are integrated, that you aim to have one system or, you know, as fewer systems as possible actually responsible for, you know, one area of the business. When this is done badly, what happens? You see companies that are running, you know, 10 different versions of uh, the same software or similar software to do the same job, you know, 10 different versions of, you know, general ledger software in extreme examples. You know, so their finance department, they're really struggling to understand um, what the numbers are and trying to translate between, you know, slightly different, uh, you know, phrases within those systems. Yeah, I mean, not all deals are successful, of course. I mean, a, a large um, I think a significant number of those don't actually add any value, but can be you know, potentially destroy value. Um, you know, ha have we got any idea about how many types of you know, how many mergers and acquisitions are successful or otherwise? Yeah, Deloitte um, suggests it's about forty percent are considered unsuccessful. I guess that number is around about uh, around about right. Um, you know, certainly in terms of the organisations that Fifth Step works with. You know, our customers tell us that. You know, prior to you know, working with Fifth Step, you know, those sorts of numbers, sometimes a little bit higher, are not unusual. Um, so I'm not surprised by that. But yeah, 40% of transactions failing to meet their business objectives is, uh, is what Deloitte is saying. So in your experience, what are you know, the most common uh, reasons uh, for, these, uh, for these failures? Well, effective integration, I already mentioned that one. That's absolutely key and critical. And I think that's the one that most often trips organisations up. Um, economic certainty, um, you know, organisations, um, you know, cite that, you know, things changed beneath them, the economy changed, the market changed, whatever, um, you know, those kinds of things definitely can come into play. But really, that's about your mergers and acquisition strategy and doing the right due, due diligence and understanding what you're buying um, and when you're buying it. Um, you know, so being able to understand that piece. And then the third one is also about due diligence. I think the reasons that these deals are very often are considered a failure is because the due diligence perhaps hasn't been done. So the valuation isn't accurate. You know, we've seen situations, um, you know, that our clients have uh, you know, experienced in the past where they've valued a, a business, have done some due diligence, and then six months in, uh, they discover, you know, something that means they're going to have to spend, you know, a million dollars more on something or, or more uh, to actually bring it into, um, into the shape that they thought it was going to be in. So it's those kinds of things. And yes, you can protect yourself contractually against some of those things, but it's really about doing your due diligence and um, surfacing the, the right kinds of issues at the right time. Because very often, they can actually be a, uh, an ability for you to discount uh, the purchase you know so if you yeah. spot something that's uh, potentially problematic 
and you know things like cybersecurity and information security and you know data privacy are real big things now for example but if you spot something um, that you think is a little bit unusual or is definitely unusual as part of your due diligence that just becomes leverage to be able to negotiate uh, you know a discount on the price I, I, I imagine not having been through uh, an MA, M, M, well, not a large MA myself, but uh, I, I imagine it can be a very stressful time for everyone involved, um, whether from the CEO down throughout the organisation, uh, no, particularly you know if, it, if a long sought after target becomes available. So how you know, how do you help people to manage that kind of stress? Well, you know, it can be stressful. So it depends on the type of organization and, and their maturity in, in performing mergers and acquisitions, I guess. If it's the first one they've done, most definitely it's going to be stressful for them. It's going to be a real challenge. There's going to be things that they've not encountered before. Um, you know, due diligence is going to be something that they won't necessarily be familiar with. You know, and they may overly rely on um, you know, advice from parties who have not been through this, uh, this process exactly as you're describing there. So if you're on the sell side, so you're preparing your business for, for sale or you're thinking that you may uh, be a, a target, the best thing to do is have um, you know, a good structure. So Fifth Step has, for example, our methodology and approach is called Fifth Step Fusion. And it's an ability to um, you know, perform a form of due diligence uh, before a target does so. Um, so you can actually understand you know, where you're strong, where you're weak, where you need to actually improve. And you can do so very easily and um, you know, more quickly. And you can focus on the things that not necessarily that you're good at, um, but the things that need improving. Because very often the things that um, you know, the organization is good at won't need improving. They'll already be there. But you know, there may be some things there that are actually going to well, act as a discount to the company, like I mentioned earlier on. Uh, in terms of what, what what does it mean for those who are on the buy side then? Well, on the buy side, um, so our clients that we're working with on the buy side, what they tell us um, that they're always concerned about, you know, their biggest fears, if you like, are that, you know, they're going to miss something. You know, we've seen it even with, um, you know, big acquisitions, uh, you know, uh, the Yahoo acquisition, for example. You know, there was a massive data breach just sitting there. And if that deal had gone through even six months before, setting aside any um, you know, contractual arrangements that may have been uh, in place. But if that deal had gone through six months before uh, the large breach had been identified, that would have been a, you know, a massive impact um, yeah. you know, on the deal. Um, so making sure that you've got a process to follow that allows you to understand what you're buying, the value of what you're buying, and the actual state that it's in. And if you identify things that are not quite right or that are going to need fixing or are not where you thought they were, um, then that acts as a great opportunity to use leverage to, to discount it. So again, the fifth step fusion uh, approaches what, uh, you know, what we use when we're working with clients on these uh, kinds of basis. And we really believe, and you know, it's demonstrated through our uh, history of working with clients, we're not seeing anywhere near the kinds of numbers that yeah. Deloitte are talking about in terms of you know, 40% of organisations regarding their M&A as a failure. You know, that's, uh, that's uh, you're completely ridic ridiculous from our perspective. What, what, what sort of feedback do you, <clears throat> have you had from clients when, they, when they're talking to you about their, either their pain points uh, as they're going through in that, uh, an M&A or acquisition or, you know, the things that they're, they're worried about as they're just starting at, you know, 
pre pre acquisition process? What 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 are the, what are the things that that keep you know keep the CEO or the or the, the COO or the, the FD and the CIO keep them awake at night? It really comes back to that piece that I mentioned, Chris. You know the the fear of the unknown, the fear of a um, a skeleton in the closet that uh, you know can um, you know can only be discovered you know six or twelve months down the line uh, that you know comes out and trips the organisation um, up. So the fear of the unknown and the the greatest mitigation for that is having a process that ensures that the ground is covered and uh, that everyone understands has a far better understanding of what they're you know what they're buying up front. Yeah, yes, as part of the due diligence, but even as part of the post you know, due diligence, you know, the second or third stage um, diligence, if you like, you know, where you perhaps get into a little uh, a little more detail. That's really where you know the CEOs and the the CFOs are, uh, are telling us that's where they get most worried because now it's starting to get more serious. The deal's getting a little bit closer. Um, you know, everyone's thinking this may actually going to be a deal that's done. More resources are being dedicated to it. So even then, if you're the acquiring company, even if you do pull out at that point in time, you've already spent time, effort, and money and distracted people or diverted people from, you know, their day job sometimes. So having a good process and a good structure is really what um, our clients tell us um, helps them um, sleep more easily at night and understand that they've actually made the coverage and, and covered the ground and done the due diligence the right way around. Can things like due diligence, though, and implementing the right processes, can they help to overcome challenges such as cultural uh, challenges? For example, if you're buying a, you know, a company in another country where you have, you know, obviously, a language barrier, for example, or a, an ethnicity barrier, or, or even different, you know... In, different religious kind of like you know, barriers, you know, if, 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 if such a thing can be described. No, absolutely it can, Chris. And the cultures of organisations are made up of all of those factors and, you know, and, and more. And we've seen some, uh, you know, some organisations who have tried to come together where their cultures are completely different you know, and it doesn't mean, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to come down to, you know, one organisation being based in one part of the world and another organisation in another. You can have organisations that have a very similar culture um, who are, you know, very geographically first, or you can have two organisations that are perhaps in, uh, you know, 100 miles apart that have very different company cultures. Um, so the geography ha is a factor, but it's not the only factor. But yes, yeah, certainly, um, you know, the fist up fusion approach um, covers off and helps identify differences in culture too, so that they can be, you know, born into or included in uh, the process and the integration process. Because how you integrate the the staff when you're in the acquiring company, um, how you integrate those staff into your culture, the sooner you can do that, the sooner they become. Um, you know, productive members and efficient members of your team actually working the way that your organisation works and they feel part of the team. You know, there were numbers that, um, you know, in my past when I was doing a lot of uh, M&A, um, I was told once by, uh, uh, by an organisation that um, 40%, they expected 40% of people to leave when they took the company over. Now, if those forty percent are the least productive members of the team, then that's great. That you know that perhaps is um, uh, a win for the organisation. But 
I, with numbers like 40%, it's uh, difficult to uh, believe that you're just losing the dead wood or cutting out the dead wood, and you're actually losing some some good people in that in that in that process. So, um, you know, looking at that, understanding how you're going to integrate those people means that you won't be suffering that 40% attrition as soon as you, you bring people over. If you're on the the sales side and you're say a, a senior person in an organisation, you're about to be bought out. Obviously, your fear is that, you know, six months down the line, you're not going to be a job in, in, in a job. Is there, is there any way of maximising your chances, chances of remaining within your organisation? Or is there anything you can do internally to make sure that when, when you're purchased, you can be seen to be at, you know, still adding value um, as far as the acquirer is concerned and, and continue to keep your team in place you know, three or four months down the line? Yeah, that's a really good question, Chris, and it's one that um, often acts as a subtext um, for our clients when you know we're working with companies who are preparing uh, themselves for sale. Um, the, our best advice, or our, the simplest way to summarise it, I guess, um, would be you know do the job well and demonstrate you're doing the job well. It may sound blindingly obvious, but many you know many senior people do a good job, but they're not necessarily able to demonstrate that they're doing that good job when it comes to you know, things like due diligence. Yeah. That being the case, you know, make sure that you're doing a good job, that you're actually making it so that it's very clear that you're doing a good job and that your team are doing a good job. Um, when it comes to a purchase then, very often, if you've got an open-minded uh, purchaser, it becomes a lot easier for them to actually see hold on a second, this department is doing really well. They're actually doing this better uh, than our similar department. You know, perhaps when we merge them together, you know, perhaps this department becomes the lead department or perhaps yeah. we take on their processes and procedures and the best person to lead that and to work on that, you know, is the team who were running it previously. So, you know, the, in, the, in the example that you're talking about, the organisation that's selling. Yeah, so I guess that comes down to documenting the things that you've done well. It comes down to documenting it, but you know what I would say is working with Fifth Step and using our fusion of approach allows you to understand you know where you're doing a good job in that respect, where that job is being is recognisable uh, by a due diligence team. In terms of how how you work typically when you're helping a, a, a client or clients through an, an M and A, I mean, would you be on the ground you know twenty four seven for them or or is that unnecessary? Would you be able to work on a sort of a flexible type of basis? Would Would you only need to do two or two or three days a, a week, or, or whatever? What What do you typically find? Yeah. Okay. So um, it very much depends on the client, and it depends on their stage, and it may uh, and may and often does depend on the size of the acquisition. So the way that Fifth Step works is we have um, the capability to provide a whole you know, mergers and acquisitions team who can. You know, help with the due diligence or the post diligence. Um, you know, work on the integration projects and programs. You know, uh, if you want that kind of uh, full team, yeah, then yes, some member of, of the team will be on site, uh, working with the client probably. You know, um, full on a full time basis. Um, that'll perhaps be you know several people on the larger deals and perhaps only one person. Um, but we needn't necessarily work that way. You know, we've got, as we always have, this capability of doing the, the flex up, flex down capability. So that gives organisations the, the ability to take us and use us 
um, on a more flexible basis and a more cost-controlled basis as well. It also means that if they've got a lot of experience within their team, that we're there to magnify their capabilities and to help them you know, stretch and to be able to um, make the deal uh, successful, help guarantee that the deal is successful, as opposed to you know just leaving uh, you know a team running around uh, ragged without that senior oversight. So very much depends, Chris. But um, if a team want full, a full time team on board, we can provide that. If they want uh, you know flex up, flex down, oversight kind of uh, view, then we can do that too. So you know you're, you're you're different in many ways in terms of you know. The, the services you provide, there, there are obviously the large, uh, you know, the big four type, you know, organisations out there, have got all sorts of resources, um, but often they they sort of go into these places. And do you think they, you know, would you would you argue that maybe they throw too too much resource at it or an unnecessary resource? Do they do they put too many people in there and uh, and really uh, do they do they really add the sort of value? That a company that's your size and scale can, you know, in terms of the flexibility you provide, you, would you argue that you could do a, a better job than them? Well, of course, I'm going to argue that. Um, you know, as a CEO of the company, I've got to argue that position, and I certainly wouldn't want to be, you know, be seen to being negative about, uh, you know, about other organisations or their approach. I'm sure you know they add value in their in their own way, but what our clients tell us. Um, where we're taking on uh, business that's perhaps been you know, previously done by the big four, they're telling us that we are better value and that we're providing a better service and often that our approach is less boilerplate and more appropriate to their organisation. You know, rather than it being assumed to be one size fits all, our approach is a more proportionate, where that's yeah. important to the organisation, a more flexible and really a more tailored approach to our clients. And that's what our clients tell us that they appreciate and that they really notice the difference from you know, working with uh, you know, one of the, um, you know, the big four consultancy companies that, uh, you know, that everyone talks about, for example. Okay, well, thanks for that, Darren. Um, I mean, that was uh, enlightening uh, again, as usual. Um, if any of our listeners would like to know more about how FISTEP working with your company can reduce the risks associated with M&A. Um, well, there are various ways of doing that. I mean, you can contact us uh, at info at fifthstep.com. Uh, so that's uh, fifthstep, spelled F-I-F-T-H-S-T-E-P. So info at fifthstep.com. Or if you'd like to learn more about Fifthstep and, other, and it's the other services it provides, you can reach out to them on LinkedIn uh, or even at the website. And uh, Or you could reach out to Darren personally. Yep, sure. I'm always on Twitter. I'm LinkedIn. You can find me quite uh, quite easily if you search for Darren Ray and Fifth Step. Okay. Well, on that note, thanks uh, to our listeners for, for tuning in and uh, look forward to uh, uh, talking to, uh, speaking to them in a few weeks' time. Thanks, Darren. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Chris.